Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I am speaking with uh, Jimmy Bangash. And I think I just mangled your name. <laughs> no, you did it really authentically, actually. Yeah. Um, and Jimmy is a uh, does life coaching. He does some life coaching for Free Hearts, Free Minds. He's also a I don't want to know. I don't want to call you an activist unless that you want to what you want to take on. But you speak a lot about ex-Muslim issues, uh, LGBT issues, basically human rights issues. And uh, anyways, thanks a lot for coming on, Jimmy. It's uh, always good to talk to you. You're more than welcome. It's good to see you again. It's been a while, eh? Yeah, it's been quite a bit. Um, yeah. So I was actually wanting to speak to you because you've been tweeting about some of this stuff, and I've been seeing it here, and I kind of been talking about this too. Is how like all this new anti-racism is actually turning into something quite racist and it's making, you know, your work harder uh, or any of us who are trying to like say, you know, speak out about certain things that, you know, like the hijab or homophobia and Islam or something like that. It's making, like we have to fight two battles now. It's like we have to fight, you know, the battle of, okay, if you're t talking about forced hijab, you have to fight that battle. Now you have to also fight the people who should be helping you, you know, defending the same thing you're you're trying to like speak out against and it's not like again just on that hijab thing we're not trying to ban it we're not trying to force everyone we just want to make the choice freely available to everyone whether you want to wear it or not right um, and also i think highlight highlight and explore the concept of choice as mm -hmm. well like you know is it actually if a muslim woman says um I chose to wear this, but actually she's also being taught that if she doesn't wear it, then her brain is going to boil in hell. Yeah. You know, like, actually how much of that is choice? But even trying to explore that can be now be seen as uh, being, ironically, being misogynistic because you're trying to tell a woman that it's not her choice. Uh, I mean, my mind is just blown by this, like... Um, and then also Islamophobic, because what you're doing is criticizing an Islamic government. And then neocolonialist, white supremacist, and racist. Yeah. Like, and, you know, these things that we absolutely kind of had figured out before, yeah? Like, the, there's these things that we had just figured out before that we had a consensus on that actually, you know, dictating to women what they should wear and essentially slut-shaming them, mm. um, was not okay yeah? yeah and how much of the hijab is about slut shaming like i'd argue entirely mm -hmm. uh, uh and and all of a sudden we're pretending like that's not a thing and we don't we, we, we're not clear on that it's okay to slut shame women. it's not okay to slut shame women anymore it reminds me of douglas murray's new book actually where he talks about you know all of a sudden we're acting really certain about things that we don't know much about mm -hmm. and we're acting like we've forgotten facts or things that we agreed as a society uh, which we've we really got to and embedded within our communities, which is actually women shouldn't be forced and coerced to, to wear things. Yeah, no, that's just it. It's again, it's okay. I I was trying to figure out what went, what was going on um, since I got back from overseas in like 2014 because I had no access to social media, didn't know, and I come back and it's I don't know if I'm like the frog that was thrown in a pot, pot of boiling water and everyone was just sitting there while it came to a boil and were, was getting used to it because I came back to a world gone mad, right? Like, I'm like yeah, what the hell's yeah. going on? And it was only when I really started reading 
like critical race theory and gender theory and queer theory. Because back in university, I'd read some postmodern stuff. Um, you know, when the first stuff on intersectionality came out initially, it, it had, you know, it's got some legitimate claims in it. Like all of this stuff does, it's based on, you know, wanting to do some good, but then yeah. the tra trajectory it's taken has gone wrong. And I mean, it's like everything's turned on its head. It's, you know, it's, I mean, the idea of racism being power plus prejudice and it's, you know, and, and, and I never understood it until I started reading critical race theory, what they actually meant by that. Like, you know, the, the, the whole system is racist and that's what gives white people power. So even if they're a homeless white person, they have more privilege than, you know, a CEO of a fortune 500 company who happens to be black. Yeah. And I, like, for me, that's like, I don't know how to argue against that. Yeah, you had to. I mean, I think it's a bit easier for me to argue against it because I'm so well versed in all of the identity politics rhetorics because I was like an identity politics champion, right? So when I found identity politics, I was like, oh my God, intersectionality, it makes so much sense. Yeah, this is completely the truth of it. And, um, uh, and you know, things like cultural appropriation. I think, you know, a lot of people who care about cultural appropriation, they're not really well-versed in distinction between cultural appropriation, cultural exchange, uh, uh, and cultural assimilation. Because this stuff made so much sense to me, I just threw myself into it, and I was swimming in this identity politic pool. And then I was like, crikey, but when I want to use the same terms and apply them to Islam, everyone's saying, no, that's not okay. So when you talk about uh, sexism and misogyny and actually men are oppressing women when i say yeah muslim men are oppressing women muslim women everyone's like shh no no that's not okay they're ethnic minority they're a minority group you can't talk about it and i was like but hang on if we look at the oppression of women and we compare it within muslim communities to non-muslim communities or, or the white western communities where is it occurring more <laughs> like it's definitely over here in the muslim communities and surely we should be looking at you know the the worser incidents because that's what we really need to address like i'm much more interested in talking about and addressing honor killings than i am about talking about why are tampons text yeah yeah or and you know or maybe man, tampons man spreading yeah or man spreading on the tube completely like so for me i'm like actually you know one of this is a life or death situation the other one is there's not enough space on the subway yeah, yeah? And I'm really interested in talking over here, but when I tried to bring the whole rhetoric of identity politics to this conversation, and I saw the response was, no, you're not allowed to, uh, and, and the only places we seem to be allowed to take it is to white communities uh, and use it to beat up white people, mm -hmm. that was really problematic for me. And I was like, you know what, I need to step away from this. Um, and, I, and, and I think also that, you know, you pointed out this thing about racism where racism used to be discrimination and looking down at another race based on the fact that there was a racial difference, yeah? Mm -hmm. Seeing one race as superior to the other. But now this academic redefinition of that word to mean that racism equals prejudice and it also has to be combined with power. Uh, and it, where we use that word in the West, we always assume that, well, it's the white people who have power. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you've now, they can't, uh, and, and minority groups don't have power. So therefore, 
white people are the only people who can be racist and minority groups can't be racist, yeah? But if you look at that, Abed, what you've done is redefine the word racism to exclude its application to one race, yeah? And say, actually, um, the only race that can't suffer racism is white people, yeah? That, that is the original definition of racism. Yeah. You you took something and you removed and you and you applied it differentially to a different racial group. Exactly. And what, okay. And another thing I find extremely racist and extremely condescending in that in like their whole idea is white ways of knowing, meaning reason and science and logic. Mm. You know, and and like free speech is a tool of white supremacy. It's like no, I mean. There's two quotes, one by Mill and one by Ibn uh, al-Hatam, and they basically say the same thing. If you want to look at an argument, go to look at the source of the argument, read the best defense of that argument, and you know, attack that, right? Um, but, I mean, so like they're saying that this is white man stuff, and I'm like, sorry, the next time you speak to uh, you know Dave in Wichita or Birmingham for your Microsoft support, and he sounds an awful like, like Raj from... Big Bang Theory, like think about that, you know, like, but telling me that I'm lesser and that I don't understand this, how is Mm. that not racist? Like, how is that not, you know, like, the the logic of this stuff is so convoluted. Um, I mean, again, with the with the feminism, like, it's okay to talk about, you know, what white people do to women, but it's not okay to talk about what happens within any 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 minority community, right? No, no, you can't talk about yeah. that. Uh, it, 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 like I said, it just, I don't know. I, 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 I read it and I see where they're coming from, but then it just, they just lose me at one point. I'm like, this is just too crazy. Yeah. And I think you're right in that some, it comes from often a, a place of, you know, these are minority communities. They've historically been marginalized. Um, and actually, pointing out flaws in these communities in terms of some of their ethoses or their practices uh, is going to equip the far right um, to further demonize them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a really weird thing that actually is because if, if, you know, the only people talking about honor killings is the far right, well then people are going to pay attention Mm -hmm. to the far right and join their ranks because actually they're the only people talking about, girls getting killed um but that's why it's more important for the rest of us who are not far right to have these conversations and say actually you know what somebody shouldn't be killed because they've shamed their family whatever that might consist of because then reasonable people can see that there are reasonable people having this conversation and align themselves with reasonable groups yeah and and one thing also about this too is just um and this is like something that's a little bit downstream but this was in universities first, and then I don't know about the UK, but at least in Canada, in the United States, it started coming into like the high school level, and now in a lot of the states, it's from like kindergarten all the way through the end of secondary. I mean, in Seattle, in New York City, they're teaching maths through an ethnic lens. Okay, <laughs> okay, they're they're teaching maths, talking about how I don't maths. I know what that means. No, no. I, I'll send you the link later, man. You'll laugh your head off. And, 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 you'll, and you'll be scared to death about it, too. Because mm. they're saying math was culturally appropriated. And again, it's it's a white way of knowing. And this is how they're teaching maths. This mm-hmm. is how they're teaching every subject through this lens. Okay. 
in the 80s, in the late 80s, when you had the rise of the Crips and the Bloods in the States, and then in the early 90s, you had like a white supremacist resurgency, then you had the movie like American History X and things like that. All these people who are doing the counterterrorism, we're talk, or counter-extremism, sorry, we're talking about, well, they find the loners. They find the kids who are dissatisfied. They find the ones who feel disenfranchised. Teaching this to kids, you're making them loners. You're making them disenfranchised. You're making them think everyone's attacking you. You're, it's a breeding ground for extremism one way or the other. You're going to create more white supremacists. You're going to create, as far as I can see, you know, if it's in the Islamic community, it might create more people wanting to go towards ISIS. Uh-huh. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just going to ramble for a bit. Like Mona Alatawe, like, I don't know if you saw the recent thing she did. No, I didn't. Okay. Did uh, she was on this thing in Australia, uh, Q&A. And she, uh-huh. someone brought up how you know, Obama said we should, you know, when Obama spoke out against cancel culture just recently. And she's like, I don't care about civility. Civility, uh, decorum, these are words created by white men to control women. We don't want civility. We don't. And she's using all this language. Uh-huh. And so that's, I mean, I've heard of this and I've started seeing it. It's coming into like progressive Muslim circles where they're using... So they're combining Islam with social justice. In the States, it's happening with the evangelical and the Baptist communities where social justice is coming into the church. I mean, I'm, I would, you're giving people an excuse to have victim mentality. And then people like Uh Linda Sarsour are going to use that to their advantage. I mean, it's something that's so easily gamed and so easily turned to, you know, you can use it to your advantage. Like someone like Linda Sarsour can use it totally to her advantage and she gets a lot of like, you know, quote unquote progressive support because she uses that language and she smuggles in her, you know, extremist ideology with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been a fan of Mona El-Tahawi actually. Um, And I loved her book, Headscarves and Hymens. I haven't read her new Mm. book uh, that's come out yet actually. But that doesn't mean that she says things that she doesn't say stuff that I completely disagree with. And and the stuff that I completely disagree with is when she goes off on um, on on white people generally, right? Um, so so the 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 social justice and Islam combination is really interesting again because that's it's just so mind blowing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, but they're diametrically opposed, but I don't know. <laughs> it's literally the most mind-blowing thing ever. And you don't see it any, in any greater concentration than you do in the gay Muslim community. Like, they have completely internalized it uh, as something that's, you know, just uh, now the new Quran, I guess, the new Hadith. So it's really interesting watching it in these spaces because you'll have like so we went to something called the inclusive mosque initiative like a bunch of ex-muslims mm-hmm. and they opened that up and obviously this is being held not in a mosque because no mosque will host gay muslims um but they held it in like i think it was the basement of a hotel and um and it was a female Oman who opened the the uh, the event and you know she opened with like if you're a, if you're a white man if you're a straight white man Think about how much space you're taking up here uh and it's such a bizarre thing to and so the whole you know through the whole event white straight white men or white men were mentioned in a derogatory way probably about 
10 times, yeah, in the khutbah, it was mentioned a number of times as well. And it was so bizarre because you're like, actually, it's the reason that we're having this event in a hotel basement and not in a mosque is because of brown men, not because of white men. Like the white men uh, aren't going to do anything to you if you try and hold a gay Muslim event in a mosque. But brown men will have a hell of a lot to say yeah. uh, if your ass doesn't get you know, physically beaten up around trying to do that. Then they'll certainly have some words for you. Um, and I find it so disingenuous because often what they do in, in, in these gay Muslim spaces is they talk about white privilege to remove the uh, microscope or, or the magnifying glass away from looking at Islamic homophobia. And by talking about white privilege over here, then all of a sudden you're talking about white societies and demonizing white society. And no conversation takes place about Muslim men, yeah, who are predominantly brown, right? Yep. And, um, and, and, and what I find really absurd about that is actually what would further the struggle of gay Muslims? Tackling white people or tackling the homophobia in their own people of color communities? Certainly the latter, right? In terms of gaining your acceptance. Because we know that in the UK, 69% of the population say it's okay to be gay, right? Um, so, but if you take that to a Muslim community, well, 52% say that it's not, yeah? That, uh, that, that, that it should be criminalized. Yeah, not even though it's not okay, but that it should be criminalized. And, and um, so when you mix this social justice stuff into Islam, particularly in the gay community, it just takes the focus away from where it needs to be. And then, as you said, makes them paint themselves as victims rather than as agents for change. Yeah, I mean, also, like, what I really don't like about it is, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, like it's, we're talking about the white, you know, it's, it's a white man's fault. So when you bring it up, oh, well, that was, you know, if you talk about something in India, well, that was because of the colonial system. And the colonials brought this in. But, you know, I'm sorry. The colonials didn't do anything to Muhammad. <laughs> like, you know, he was a colonizer. But, you know, they, they oh, I don't know, that's, that's white, you know, that's white history or whatever. Like, it's, everything's being revised. Um, and it's, again, what you're talking about, okay, demonizing the white men, bring it into feminism again. White women sit down, you know, women give women of color the, the right to speak. Now they have this thing called, uh, I guess it's, I, I shouldn't say now, it's, I only heard about this year, was uh, BIPOC, so black and indigenous people of color. So black and indigenous people of color are more oppressed than brown people, so you should step back and be an ally, ally to them and give them more space because you, okay, so I mean, it's, you're putting people of color against each other now. And we have QPOC as well now, so, which is queer people of color, queer person of color. Uh -huh. And it's, it's this continually funneling down, isn't it, yeah. of so however many identity politic groups you can subscribe to, which will then eventually end in understanding that we're all individuals and that it's individual rights that we should be fighting for yeah. in terms of universal human rights. It's absolutely, it's absolutely bizarre. And I sent a tweet out the other day. Uh, and, and I did a Facebook post on it just to see what would happen, actually. And I made sure there was no tone to it, like no one could understand whether I was joking or whether I was serious. And I put, if a white policeman stops an honor killing, is that racism? Because he's literally using his power and prejudice to stop her death, which is a cultural practice. <clears throat> Tweet went everywhere. 
Um, but it was a really interesting thing to throw out there, and it, and it reminds me a bit of, do you remember Sati, the yeah. Indian practice yeah, yeah. of Sati? So my understanding is that through colonialism, that practice actually stopped from pressure from the white people, which so this is like a cultural practice where we yeah. used to... Uh, the widows died, were burned. Burn, yeah, should be burned alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, uh, under colonialism, that was stopped and outlawed. Yeah, I don't know if this uh, the story might be apocryphal or not, but it's credited to uh, uh, Naismith or Napier. I forget his name. He was the you know the governor at the time or the viceroy or something. Horrible person, like not defending him. But when he heard about this, what he apparently did was put up a gibbet and said, "It might be your culture to burn widows alive, but it's my culture to hang anyone who does it." Mm. Okay. Now, mm. like I said, you can look up the history of this guy. I believe it was Naismith could be Napier but he's a horrible person like I'm not defending him as a person but that's where this thing comes in um again talking about like this colonialism stuff uh, a friend of mine Melissa Chen just recently wrote an article in the Spectator USA about the protests in Hong Kong and she said you know if it wasn't for British colonialism Hong Kongers wouldn't know what they're protesting for they wouldn't be protesting completely right? you know? completely and we can talk about the harm colonialism's done i mean you and i are both from i mean you're you're living in the belly of the beast so to speak you know but like mm. you know i was born in india a british colony I, my family moved to canada another british colony right so but you know i can see the differences but i mean we can talk but it, it this 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 idea that it's always your fault like I mean, yeah yeah completely Completely. And also a bit like, you know, we have to acknowledge that stopping Sati is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. like oh, that's yeah. a good thing. It happened under colonialism. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But somehow if you acknowledge that, well, then you're a race traitor or you're, you know, some kind of like, uh, you're not a real Asian person. You're not a real brown person. Um, and you're supporting white supremacy <laughs> by saying that. But I think, you know, like, what, what are you saying that actually because uh, Sati, which was an Indian cultural mm-hmm. practice, was stopped by white people then are you saying that was racism as well because it was power and prejudice against what they saw as a backwards um practice or can we just agree that that's a commitment to universal human rights that women shouldn't be burned to death like it doesn't matter who comes up with it it doesn't matter whether you're white or you're brown or you're black or whether you're east asian actually anyone who takes that stance is being committed to the human rights of those women however um bad that person's history may have been and what other colonialist activities they've done, we can unilaterally agree that actually burning women isn't okay. Or are you going to say that actually, well, it was an Indian practice and it's their culture? Yeah, I mean, that that uh, that thing always bugs me, the cultural relativism. Mm. Again, because yeah. it's, I mean, okay, a lot of this stuff... Because, I mean, the, the logic is like a Mobius strip. It turns in on itself. Like there's, you know, so yeah. someone who will tell you to stop protesting the hijab because it's a cultural practice will then ask you to join a protest against the Korean embassy because they eat dog. You know, that's a cultural practice. Who are we to say that's not a good thing to eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> like be consistent at least. Yeah, there's no consistency. There's absolutely no consistency in this identity politics, social justice arena. And 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 also, and it's starting to do this now, like you can see groups turning in on each other. Yeah. Like you, you in the in the UK, they've launched a group called LGB 
LGB Alliance, yeah, yeah, uh, which uh, deliberately omits the T mm-hmm. from from uh, the LGBT uh, acronym, uh, and they actually stand in opposition to a lot of what the trans activist movement um, are pushing forward with. So this this constant sort of uh, going downwards, 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 downwards identifying everybody as victims, acting like everybody's got the same struggle, yeah, it's just farcical. And then actually what you see is people starting to say, actually, you know what, hang on a sec, we've all been told that we're victims together. Let me take a step back and just assess how true this is. And this is kind of what LGB Alliance have said, is actually just going to take a step back and see uh, lesbian, gay and bisexual are all sexualities. And we've had trans put in with us, which is is more about gender identity than it's about sexuality. Uh, and actually, um, you know, we're going to distance ourselves from that, because actually what we find is that some of the things that the trans movement is doing, it can be quite, quite anti-lesbian and gay. Yeah. So the LGB alliance is really quite opposed to putting kids on hormone blockers, for example. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, really opposed to uh, uh, teaching children that actually if you are a girl and you like to play football or do stuff that is more associated with uh, uh, male gender, that doesn't mean that you're born in the wrong body. Yeah. So LGB Alliance will take a, take umbrage of that. Whereas the trans activist movement would be like, oh, it's okay if you're a girl born into if you're a girl who likes to play football, it's most likely because you're trans. And actually, you know, then looking at how can we help you to become trans and look at how, look at how can we help you to, to move across to uh, become male, which might involve puberty blockers at a very young age. So I think the whole, we're all victims together has kind of muddied the water like, uh, 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 and given this massive collective identity to people. And often those identities are in opposition with each other, not in... Um, collaboration yeah i mean okay the, the social justice thing and again i want to specify there's a, a guy in the u.s um uh, him uh james Lindsay, him peter bogosian and helen Pluckrose did the the yeah. call of the social okay yeah and i mean james uh, he specifies capital s capital j social justice as a movement not social justice as an idea of like you know civil rights martin luther king you know that kind of stuff right like that that is what we want we don't mm. want this movement that's warping everything around and like the the trans issue like i'm glad you brought that up because again you know to me that okay there's people who want trans rights and that yes we want that everyone should be given that right to live freely but then there's just like everyone else it's the loudest most extreme fringe cases that are doing all this stuff that if you're a lesbian and you don't want to sleep with a man who identifies as a woman and still has a penis that means you're transphobic no i, I mean i thought we were attracted to who we we're attracted to right i mean like it's, yeah. it's conversion therapy or like you were saying like okay if a girl wants to play sports and this and that or a guy is a little bit more you know a little boy is a little bit more artistic or you know a little bit more i don't know like, again it's they're enforcing these gender stereotypes and saying because of that you're a man at the same time saying there is no such thing as a gender stereotype it's all socially constructed Uh, i mean why can't it just be that 
okay, fine. You're a girl who likes camping or, you know, hiking or fishing or whatever, rough play, right? I mean, and when, when that girl grows older and she's able to make a better decision and you're not, you know, like you said, giving like puberty blockers and stuff like that, I, I think that should be illegal. Like you should not be able to give uh. that to kids um, unless there's a lot more research, right? Uh, but once you can make an informed, or once that child can make an informed decision, they're an adult. If they want to do it, more power to you. You know, if, if that is what you need, go ahead. And again, you can support the child. You can, you know, if a little boy says, you know, I want to wear dresses, and fine, go ahead, wear dresses. Yo, be happy. But let's not fundamentally change, you know, like, you know, change your hormones, like, try to do stuff to make them fit into something you want. Because, I mean, I saw one yesterday, it was on Twitter, and it was a four-year-old kid, and so the woman, the woman's like, uh, if my four-year-old son can understand that you can too. And he's like holding up a little sign, you know, all genders can have their period. I can too. I'm sorry, but a four-year-old kid does not understand that. Mm, yeah. mm. I, I, it's very interesting when you said like uh, I think I, I think you I think it was your podcast you had Sadia on and you were talking yeah. about the cotton ceiling yeah mm. and she mentioned the cotton ceiling and it's it's not a term I'm unfamiliar with actually um, there's this idea that if you're a trans if you were born male and you transition to female and but you keep your male genitalia and then a lesbian doesn't want to have sex with you. That's an example of the cotton ceiling, yeah? Yeah. Be uh, because they're not treated, and, and that is transphobic. Um, and when you said that, it just, it, I guess what it aligned to for me was this redefinition of words, yeah? And this broadening of definitions to the point where they become meaningless. So the way that the word racism is thrown away around now and the way that the word transphobic is thrown around now, it's hard to take the accusations seriously. So Martina Navratilova, she uh, is a, a tennis player. Yeah. Uh, I think she's Olympian, actually. I think she was like a... a oh, like, she, I think she's the... like Up until Serena like, Williams, she was the winningest woman tennis player. Uh, yeah, so she's like... She's just huge, right? And she's always been like a LGBT ally. But she came out and said, actually, very bravely, I think, she came out and she said, um, men who transition to women shouldn't be allowed to play in female categories yeah. in sports. Uh, and we're starting to see like trans women really kick ass. Obviously they would oh, yeah. because they've been through male puberty uh, and so that gives them uh, a stronger bone advantage. density, more muscle, everything, right? Increased lung capacity, mm -hmm. increased heart, right? So uh, the comparator isn't really fair. But the, whether you agree with Martina or not, actually, I think mm -hmm. this is what my point is. So whether you think that trans women should be able to compete in all female categories or whether you don't. Labeling Martina as transphobic mm -hmm. is absurd, yeah? Just because she has an opinion that she disagrees about on trans issues, that doesn't make one a transphobe, yeah? She's not out there trying to petition against the human rights of trans people. What she's saying is actually in this one arena sport, I think we need to have a more detailed conversation. 
because I don't think this is fair. That doesn't make a transphobe out of you. Labeling somebody a transphobe because of that is absolutely absurd, and I'd argue means that you're labeling most of the population as transphobes if if that's what your benchmark is. Similarly, um, this this idea that if I'm a gay man and I'm Pakistani, so I am actually a gay man and Pakistani, <laughs> handily, <laughs> father handily. Um, so, as a, as a gay Pakistani man, if I try and chat up a white dude, and he says to me, uh, or if he says I don't, I don't actually, I usually go for white guys, or I usually go for black guys. I don't know what happens if he says I usually go for black guys. So if he says I usually go for white guys, then labeling him as racist because he doesn't fancy me because I'm Pakistani. Uh, you know, that's the thing now, right? Like if you don't, people get called racist because they have a preference for who they are attracted uh, just, to. I'm just going to interrupt you for today. one second. I'm going to answer your yeah. question. What happens if you say, you, okay, that the guy, if, if the white guy said, no, I only like black guys. It's no longer, oh no, it's not that you're, you're racist because you're fetishizing. Fetishizing, that's yeah. Like you're setting the, there's no space to win this, no, is no, there? It's, it's not. Like, because I've seen the same people say, like, so I've seen, I've seen arguments <laughs> with people saying, uh, you're uh, somebody saying to a white person, oh, you're racist. And they said, you know what, you're calling me racist, but my girlfriend is black. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're just fetishizing her. And it's like, you really are trying to set this up so that the person cannot uh, win and has to be found racist in some way or fashion. You know, it's the same thing as like, uh, when we talk about ethnic communities who congregate together in uh, geography in terms of where they live, mm -hmm. like if white people move out of that area, yeah. then it's called white flight. Yeah. If white people move into the area, then it's called gentrification. <laughs> Is that you can't win? Yeah. Like, yeah, if you do either, you just mm -hmm. can't win unless uh, it, we set up these terms that make it impossible as a white person to do anything that's not racist. I mean, another thing is, okay, uh, going back to the critical race theory, but this is also creeping into the gender uh, theory and the queer studies and all that. So as a white person, or okay, whatever, me as a, you know, two of us as brown people, we will never understand the struggle of a black person, right? Hmm. Now, so we're told that okay, you have to, you have to, you know, sit back and listen. So it's just back and listen, but, if but listen, not... listen doesn't mean listen anymore. No, no, listen, it, it, the it, definition it, of listen, listen has changed. Listen means agree. Yeah, yeah listen and agree. Yeah. Hear and agree. Yeah. But if you ask a question, can you try to explain this? It's like no. Well, you're exploiting me, so that's also racist. So you're you can never know. And when you try to ask a question to understand. Oh, no, that's exploitation. So, again, it's a no-win situation. Mm. I mean, it's not my job to educate you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. well, then how do you expect people to, you know, improve? Like it's, and the, the, the shutting down of discourse, right? There's this complete shutdown of don't talk to that person because they're a white supremacist. Don't have that person because they're this. You label them that, and that's it. I mean, I think the most egregious one I've seen recently was there's this guy in the States named Daryl Davis. He's a black musician. Oh. This guy has 200 KKK hoods in his closet of people he's personally deconverted. He gets thousands of letters and emails saying, I heard you talk. You made me think I've left the KKK. This guy, a black guy, walks into KKK meetings and talks to them. He's being labeled a white supremacist because he speaks to the KKK. I mean, come on. 
Like, what, what chance does anyone have if that guy's a white supremacist, right? Like, what yeah. chance do any no, of us have? No chance. <laughs> no chance, I'd say. Yeah. And, and, and also what I'm starting to see is the impact of this, um, because, because I think what we see is the social justice movement and, and the impact on people of color is, okay, we're all victims, but now at least we've got a vernacular to push back against our oppressor. Uh, uh, and you know we've seen some really scary things like at universities in in America, like people being deplatformed and people lecturers, you know, having to resign yeah. because they didn't want to go home on uh, All Black Day and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, 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 so that madness. But what I'm starting to see now a bit in in both in my coaching practice mm -hmm. and also my therapy practice is clients coming to me uh, with white self-loathing. Yeah, mm -hmm. like uh, so actually saying, you know, like uh, 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 I'm overweight, uh, I've suffered from anxiety and I'm white as well. Like as if that's in the same category as, you know, this is a problem being overweight, this is a problem being anxious, and then this is also a problem being white as well. Yeah, like you have to get your head around how crazy that is that the answer to racism has become making white people loathe themselves. Yeah. And then when you say that, what we say is, no, we're not saying this is about individuals. We're saying this is about whiteness as an ideology. Yeah. So they shouldn't they shouldn't know themselves. But when you run around saying everything white equals bad or white equals oppressor, well, then actually it's probably quite a logical thing for white people to start this self-loathing. OK, like I said, I don't know what it's like in the schools in the UK, but I mean, I you know, the universities, some of this madness has come in. But again, going back to the States and parts of Canada, when they're teaching this from K through 12, this is the anti-racism that they're teaching. I mean, I'm sorry, you're you're going to have a generation of screwed up kids. We just had a recently had a case, uh, court case passed. Uh, the defendant won or the plaintiff, I don't know. But anyways, this person was suing a midwife because the midwife didn't. The midwife listed a gender when they were born, and they're they're saying they're pan-gender now. Now, I'm sorry, but if you're taking this person to court, you're obviously, you know, I, I don't know the full details. I, should, I don't know the age of the person, but, you know, this wasn't around when you were born. Mm. How can you sue someone for something like that? Yeah. And, and they yeah, won the case. Okay, I hope it gets appealed, and I hope they lose, but we're making laws based, like, like at least Canada is. We've got laws now based on gender theory. Right. Mm. And it's, you know, again, it's, it seems like I'm harping on this, but it's like, no, everyone should be equal under the law. You can't discriminate against everyone, but you're making these special protected classes. And I don't know if you saw the case of Jessica Yanev, who used to be Jonathan Yanev. Is, is this the wax my balls? Yes, thing? wax my balls thing. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. So now the Human Rights Tribunal, the, the, the decision came out maybe a month ago. It was right after the Canadian election. So it was sometime in October that the decision came out that. Okay, no, this is being thrown out. And now, if you read this, and everyone's like, oh, see, uh, the sanity took hold. But you had 15 women who had their lives destroyed over a year. Yeah. Only three yeah. of them got money. You know, they lost businesses. They had to go through this. And the money they got was $2,000, those three. They got $2,000 each. But, I mean, if you read that judgment from that tribunal, one was because, the, because Jessica put in all these frivolous complaints right 15 of them is that if, if only one had come in and they proceeded with it then the other 15 fall underneath that president right the other 14 but also because and so part of it was that the other part was jessica was not a reliable witness now 
this law is set up to be gamed. Jessica tried three times before this, and they were all thrown out because didn't fill out proper paperwork or whatever. Uh-huh. Someone with half a brain can read that decision, come up with a valid claim, and be a reliable, good witness, and take this through. Right? You don't have to be a nut like Jessica Yanev because if as I'm, someone needs to get some help to that person because it's not quite right in the head. Like, I mean, if you look at everything that, no, no, I mean, taking pictures, saying I have a period, uh, I go into washrooms, ask 12-year-old girls if they have a tampon when I'm on my period. It's a man. Men don't have periods. You know, I'd love to see that case if the beautician was Muslim. Uh, There were Sikh, Vietnamese, and uh, and that's another thing. Like, Jessica, several times, all these these, uh, minorities, they don't understand, they come to our country. So there's a lot of racism Mm. on on that thing, too. I can send you the link to the decision. It's Mm. long. but it would be interesting because of how how Islam is, you know, championed in the West. Yeah. yeah? Like if it was a Muslim woman saying, actually, it's against my religion to wax you because yeah. you have no genitalia. Because in, in the area I live in, we have lots of beauticians that I can't go to because I'm a man. Mm-hmm. And um, the, it's done by Muslim women and, and a lot of them, the, the places... You know, if, they, if I wanted to do a massage, I'd probably have to move a bit further, go somewhere a bit further out of this area because Muslim women won't massage men over here. So it would be really interesting to see that case had it been with a Muslim woman beautician who was then saying, actually, I can't do this because it's male genitalia and it's against my religion. I wonder what that would have thrown up. Actually, uh, a couple of the people brought that up as there was a... like, yeah. And that was thrown out because of another case and that was... Uh, Marianne Oje, who's another trans woman, took some people to, uh, and so I haven't read that decision. Like I'd have to go back and find that. And they said based on the decision of this, and uh, so there, the trans rights superseded the re- the religious freedom rights. Mm, that's so, really interesting. Uh, I mean, again, I don't know the details of that case. So I, I mean, Vancouver does have, uh, and I believe Marianne Oje is also in that area. Uh, I think it's got the largest Sikh population outside of Delhi. Yeah. in Vancouver so I mean uh, there's a lot of Sikhs there but it was also you know, a lot of uh, not that there aren't Muslims there uh, but there's majority it's uh, Hindu Sikh and then you'll have uh, you know uh, Asians so you'll have like Vietnamese and Cambodian and Chinese Japanese uh, a lot of that so a lot of these women were Vietnamese women and Sikh mm. women and they yeah. were doing it out of their homes but again it's and now the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal has a definition of a Brazilian wax that is a service provided to women with a vulva, because that was the issue, right? The, the Brazilian wax was, deci- was was described as a service offered to women. So therefore, Jessica self-identifies as a woman, has full rights to any service offered to women. But then they had an expert come in saying that a Brazilian wax has to be done on a vulva because uh. that's what they're trained for. And I mean, it's we've got that in Canadian jurisprudence. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? It's almost like biological sex doesn't matter now. And actually, we know that it does matter. Biological sex does matter. And you know, you said that that case where um, the midwife was being sued for for putting her gender as female. Well, actually, she was actually putting her sex down, not her gender. Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And I think that distinction has to be maintained. But there's this continual attempt to try and blur those two things together. Actually, you know, your your physiological, biological gender is something. Your gender identity and your gender expression is something else, yeah? But physical sex does matter. It's a biological reality, and we have to 
appreciate that that's a biological reality, otherwise we're turning the world on its head. Just to go back to court cases, though, and, and how social justice is driving the world nuts, we had last year our first employment tribunal where a straight white male took the Metropolitan Police Force to an employment tribunal because he didn't get the job. And he said, you didn't give me the job because I'm a straight white man and I'm not diverse enough for you. Uh, and I think a lot of us thought this was going to get thrown out, but he actually won the case. The employment tribunals was like, they looked at the notes, they looked at the conversations that took place, and they were like, you didn't give this guy a job because he's not diverse enough for you, and he's a straight white male. So he won that case. And it's the first case in its history that I know of, but I think it's certainly the first case ever to have been won on the grounds of discrimination for a straight white male. Because all of the other discrimination cases that would be won would be around... Yeah. protected characteristics of gender, race, etc., but for minority groups or marginalized groups. Well, I mean, I, okay, this was, uh, I can't remember if it was Oberlin or Wesleyan. So it was a white woman who was the president of the diversity council, transitioned into a man. Once oh. the transition was complete, he was now told that you're not diverse enough because you're a straight white male and was kicked uh. off the diversity council. <laughs> Yes, I did hear about this. I did hear about this. I mean, that's insanity. Gosh, that is insanity. It's insanity. But this is what identity politics does, right? We're no longer interested in the content of your mind yeah. and what it is you've got to say. We're more interested in the container of your mind, yeah. like the physical container of your mind. Is it a brown container? Is it a male container? Is it, uh, uh, is it a Muslim body that you're in? You know, like all of this stuff is what matters now more than actually... The content of what you're actually espousing um, okay when you just said body there that that's another thing um someone actually tweeted this out and it's because i've heard the term and it's, it's and it just always freaked me out they said all these people who are talking about humanization they refer to people as bodies oh make space for black bodies you know they take the humanity out of it they're taking the humanity out of everything and they're and it's like you said it just reducing to this container of flesh and it's just you know the, the spark that what makes you human they're, they're just reducing it to nothing yeah completely just once we're on the on the on the space of absurd terms right so this new term which i heard about a month ago homo nationalism oh good lord oh, gosh it's a, it's a good word right i'm like bring that out of scrabble you'll get like so much points um, triple word score. So uh, homo nationalism is like when acceptance of homosexuality is used as some kind of benchmark for acceptance of your identity of that nation. So an example would be painting out Pakistani communities who are Islamophobic as you know, they're not really, they're not real Brits. They don't have British values because they're homophobic. So now all of a sudden calling out Islamic homophobia in Pakistani communities is, is racist. Do you understand? So you're calling out Islamic homophobia is racist because what you're trying to say is those brown people over there, they're savages and they're not real Brits. But if they subscribe to being gay, being okay, well, then they become Brits because you know, they're aligning themselves to what we see as British values. But I mean, but yeah, but again, that goes against the whole idea of, you know, gay rights. You, 
you're, universal human rights. Yeah, exactly. right? universal, gay rights are universal. It doesn't mm. matter what color you are. It's not about whether you're a, a national citizen mm. or not. But I would argue there's some legitimacy. If you live in a country that is 90, 70%, it's okay to be gay. And actually, whether you're white or you're black or Asian or anything else, male, female, whatever, if your position is, I'm living in a country where the law says it's okay to be gay, where most of society thinks it's okay to be gay, um, but I don't think it's okay to be gay, well then, yeah, actually, there's some legitimacy to say, legitimacy to say you're not aligning yourself to the values of that society. doesn't mean you're not a citizen, by any mm. means, because dissent is important, as we know, as ex-Muslims, mm. but there certainly is the, the objective reality that you're not aligning yourself to the ethos and the... Um, general agreement of what that society espouses. But I'm not even saying that's a bad thing. You know, like if there were some people in India who are anti-Sati, that, uh, that, that means they're not aligning themselves to the overall um, alignment of India. That's a good thing. Be anti-Sati. It's okay. Yeah. If you live in Egypt and everyone's homophobic and you're pro-gay, you're not aligning yourself to the the overarching themes of that or that that country, it's okay. Okay, and that's another thing that really bugs me about this is, oh, well, you know, we have to f fight unjust laws, right? So they, when you are calling out, um, you know, homophobia in the Pakistani community, and they're like, oh, well, that's racist, and you can't be racist, we're fighting <clears> you, and that, that, that's because that's unjust. It's like, no, the homophobia is the unjust thing. We're saying yeah. treat everyone equally. But it's not, I mean, as far as I can tell, it's not about equality anymore. It's about, okay, we were down for so long, now we have to be up for the same amount of time. And yes. I first read this idea in the late 80s. It was a a book by a French uh, I want, a sociologist. He was in Algeria during the time of the revolution, and he wrote this book called The Wretched of the Earth. And his name is Frantz Fanon. Um, some really... Uh, uh, weird stuff in there. So he basically said any any community that was oppressed to gain equality and to gain uh, a good headspace or whatever, like, you know, to clear their all, all the baggage and everything out of it, they have to oppress their oppressor for the same amount of time. I mean, it's... And in Quebec, they had a revolution in the early 70s and uh, they wanted to... There, there was violence. It was the, the, the our prime minister at the time... Uh, had the, called the War Measures Act, so it was like emergency uh, emergency measures, and uh, Quebec was under martial law for a little bit, uh, and a, a British High Council got killed. Um, now, when they were taken to court, they called themselves the FLQ after the FLN, which are the freedom fighters in um, in Algeria, and they they didn't want to swear on the Bible; they wanted to swear on Fanon's book. <laughs> and it's, but that that concept is again, I mean you have to go back quite a ways to figure out where this stuff came from. Uh, um, it's also the, the, you know, the white ways of thinking it's, it goes back to Audre Lorde's uh, uh, a paper she wrote and, you know, the, uh, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. You know, meaning like, yeah. you know, yeah. free speech science. I mean, she was talking more about of capitalism. Course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, I guess let me, let me wrap up with this uh, a bit because it's been really enjoyable talking. Yeah. <laughs> somebody who doesn't who, who sees the nonsense in it all because like sometimes I feel I'm walking around in a mad world where actually a woman has to go to court to say she doesn't want to wax 
for a Chinese woman's boards. Like that's that's the world that we're living in now. And where if a lesbian doesn't want to have sex with somebody who's got a penis, then she's a homophobe. Then she's a transphobe. And actually, if we want to call out Islamic homophobia, which has the literal death of gay men all across the world, um, well, then actually, that's a racist thing to do. But it's interesting that you said about laws, because when we try and call out homophobia in Muslim countries, what the social justice warriors always say is, well, those laws were instituted by white people. And so therefore, even when Muslim people are executing other gay Muslims and ex-Muslims or secularists, that's white people's fault as well. Like, that's how absurd it's got. Well, it's everything's white people's fault. And it's... And ethnic minorities are infantilized as having no agency or choice. Yeah, and I mean, okay, I, 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 I write very poorly and not very often, but I, that was like the first thing I wrote when I tried to get back into writing prose after 20 years of technical writing. Mm. You know, I said that, like, I would rather someone call me a packy or a raghead because mm. I can deal with that. I know, I know how to deal with that nonsense. But someone telling me that it's not my fault because because I'm brown and I was too facile to have caused my own issues. I'm sorry. I'm more than capable enough of fucking up my own life. I don't need some white person to do it. <laughs> yeah, completely. And also the offense. Some of the stuff is so offensive. Like, you know, we have. Um, so you might you have software programs that will edit the job advert for uh, so that the English doesn't um, ostracize and BAME communities, yeah? Like, so maybe if the job advert has got the word leadership in it, well, BAME people might not apply for the job because they can't uh, handle that just word. Just uh, BAME, that's Black, Asian, Middle Black, Eastern? Asian, my, minor, right. Black, Asian, Minority, and Ethnic. Okay. Um, so, so uh, uh, or if a job advert has the word leadership in it, a woman might not apply for it, yeah? This is a... The, the the psychology behind it uh, and i'm like that is so offensive to think that actually you think i can't handle the same level of english written english as my white counterparts is absurd and you know like actually a bit i'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here but people often tell me i'm an articulate individual and i think sat next to many of my white counterparts i often occurs more articulate so to somehow say i can't read a job advert and it needs to be tailored to me because i come from a pakistani community because it's too eloquent when it's initially written and only white people would apply for that that is so racist and then to act like black asian minority and ethnic so this is chinese other indigenous people like you can categorize us all as one group and our english is all the same and at the same level but white people have this elevated or different type of english you know myself and my nigerian friends we don't speak english in the same way so don't put us all in one category like that doesn't make any sense but it's all done in this absurd notion that by separating us out into different groups you're making us more equal okay um if you want to read something, and I only read it this year, someone recommended it to me. It's called uh, Kindly Inquisitors. It was written in 93. 
And it was, so uh, Jonathan Rauch wrote it and he was talking about uh, the Ayatollah and the fatwa yeah. against Salman Rushdie and also the, uh, then in the state, it was the religious right. And then what he called the humanitarian threat to liberal science. So he was talking about liberal science as in, you know, the values of the enlightenment, right? So universal values, human rights. And he called that liberal science. And he said, you have the fundamentalist threat, which is the religious threat and all that. And then you have the humanitarian threat, which is, don't you want to fight racism? Don't you want to fight extremism? And they come at you with this, you know, and it's like they, they'll stab you in the back while they're, you know, smiling and giving you a hug. And it's just, I mean, okay. The, 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 I, I don't want to keep you too long. Cause you know, I know you had a busy day. Uh, Harvard, Thank you. when they, yeah. they take away points from Asian students, like, you know, mind blown. This okay. is crazy. And they say they're doing that to fight white supremacy because there'd be too many Asians on the campus. So, mm. to, and I don't understand how too many Asians on the campus is white supremacy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, I think everything is white supremacy. Like, <laughs> everything is white supremacy. Like, if you burp, that's white supremacy. So not just Harvard, but Silicon Valley as well. Like, um, because, you know, I think we have to admit that Asian, East Asian kids are kicking everybody's asses, right? Like, in the States. Yeah. Like, they, they are studying hard and they're getting the grades. Uh, they come from uh, families that really uh, champion the, the traditional family values, right? And there's a lot of merits that come out of that. So Actually, so, so, so are Indian kids. Like, it's not necessarily yeah. all South Asian. Indian kids are doing really well as well. Yep. So. Completely. <laughs> Completely. So, so, so I think Silicon Valley, when they're recruiting now, they're getting over-representation in terms of minority groups mm. from East Asians who are really into the tech. And, mm. uh, uh, and they're struggling with this. They're like, okay, hang on a sec. <laughs> this is diverse, but not in a good way. They're like... <laughs> This is bad diversity. Yeah. Mono diversity. Yeah. Mono... <laughs> oh my God, you just coined a term, which in five years time, someone is going to quote as a serious thing, right? So uh, yeah, so this kind of diversity isn't, isn't good enough. It's no longer about academic achievement and these people have worked hard. That's not good enough, actually. The fact that they've worked hard and they've achieved these grades is now being used as a way to penalize them. Yeah. That is absurd. Yeah, because, I mean, the only way I can get wrap my mind around it is, I know what Harvard said, and I don't even want to get into that, but it's also because you've accepted the white way of doing things, you've, you, you've become ensconced in whiteness. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it, it is so... Because you've assimilated. Yeah, and it just... That's it, yeah. Uh, As if there's only one way to be East Asian. You yeah. know, like that That in itself is racist, or that actually you're, you've become more white. Yeah. So if you're eloquent uh, and if you yeah. are, uh, if you attend all of your classes, well, then you're acting white, yeah? Which is another thing I often get hit with, like, oh, you act white, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and or you like, sound white. You talk... Yeah, or you sound white. It's like, white because I speak English well, like... Yeah. That makes me sound right. It's such a nonsense, racist thing to say. And also, the amount of, you know, older generation people I know who are who are Indian, who make me look like I'm my English is befuddled. Yeah, like they they enunciate every single English word perfectly. They have vocabularies like they swallow the whole dictionary, but they speak it all in an Indian accent. And I'm like, oh, so is that acting white? 
or is that acting Indian? Which one is that? Because their grasp of the English language is better than most white people that I know, but they've got an Indian accent on it as well. And actually, I just feel like that's somebody who worked hard and learned a language really well. It's got nothing to do with acting any color. Anyways, I don't want to keep you too, too long. Uh, it's been really fun talking to you, Jimmy. Uh, Pleasure catching up again. Yeah. It's been, uh, listen, it's been you, fun. If I know you, like, I don't know if you have any things coming up or if you want to let people know where they can get a hold of you. Um, like, again, I'll put all your socials in the description, but yeah, go ahead. Cool, yeah. People can hit me up on Twitter at Jimmy Bangash. My Facebook is Jimmy London. Uh, if you want to come and support the work that we do at Free Hearts, Free Minds, where we offer mental health um support to people who are ex-Muslim in Muslim-majority countries, please do so. You can look at all the testimonials on our website, which is freeheartsfreeminds.com. And then the last place you can hit me up usually is the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain, because I do a lot of work with them, uh, uh, just promoting work around and awareness around ex-Muslims. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jimmy, and thank you everyone for listening. Great.